your word in our language in front of us so that we can read and learn about who you are and who we are and what this mission that you sent us out is supposed to look like. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come. We ask that you would um, take up your word, that you would educate and enlighten us, and uh, that you would instruct us. Lord, we, um, we need to know the flavor of your mission. We need to know what we're up against. We need to know what we can count on you to do. We need to know um, the types of things that we can expect from brothers, the types of things we can expect from enemies, the types of things we can expect from those who have not yet believed on your son. And so would you take up this sermon and would you bless it uh, for our good and for your glory? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. Um, we're going to, this. the sermon is titled Missionary Message. Basically what we're looking at is uh, we've been seeing Paul and Barnabas and Mark on the first missionary journey. Um, and we saw last week, we saw them come to the island of Cyprus and uh, experience some, um, some persecution. And now we're going to see them leave that place and go into their next town. And um, any of you guys who are paying attention when Aaron read, we have a lot of text to cover. And so we're not going to be spelunking today. We're going to be flying over. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Okay. So let me, um, I'm just going to give you a few big ideas as we look through all of these things. We are going to read everything. And I'm just going to kind of make some cursory observations as we as we go uh, as we go through. So if you write in your Bible, I'm going to give you a whole host of D words. I don't know why, but that's what we're going to do. So in beside verse 13, write the word discouraged. Write the word discouraged. If you've ever been discouraged in your Christian life or in your Christian ministry as you uh, sought to serve the Lord and honor him with your life, um, you are not alone. Listen in verse 13. It says, now Paul and his companions, plural. Who are we talking about? We've got Barnabas, and we've got a guy named John Mark. We were told up in, um, uh, let's see, in verse 5, that uh, they proclaimed the word in the synagogue of the Jews, and they had John, this is John Mark, to assist them. So he's kind of in support role with them, and it's Barnabas and Paul that have been commissioned by the church to take the gospel to those who have never heard. And so John Mark is with them. So Paul and his companions, plural, they set sail from Paphos and they came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now, when Luke describes this, he just kind of sort of lists it as an occurrence, like no big deal. He left and he went back to Jerusalem. We read, I don't know if you remember, in, verse, in chapter 12, when Peter gets miraculously resurrected from the prison, uh, that picture of resurrection, he goes to the house of John Mark's mama. So this guy is really connected in, uh, in Jerusalem, and he returns there. Now there's a couple of, uh, a couple things that make me um, think that this, um, this impacted particularly the Apostle Paul in a really negative way. First off is the context. What we saw in uh, last week and um, in the previous verses uh, is some pretty heavy spiritual warfare. You guys remember the 
the magician that was coming against them and, and trying to turn away uh, the Roman dignitary from the faith. And so Paul has to curse him with blindness. And they have to, you know, th- there's just all of this, um, all of this spiritual warfare. And then right behind John Mark leaving, you're going to see a whole lot more spiritual warfare, a whole lot more spiritual conflict. And so when John Mark bails, he bails in the midst of really hard time. Uh, also, if you if you look over in, um, let's see, at the end of Acts chapter 15, they're going to go, uh, this is the second missionary journey. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, the same guy that deserted them on the, on the work. Barnabas says, no, he's great. We got to take him. Um, But Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So you see the the difference of opinion there that Paul says, look, we were in the battle and this guy bailed. I don't want to take him with us. Barnabas says, no, he's the best. We're taking John Mark. Barnabas, the unquenchable son of encouragement. Now, um, we are told... Uh, in another place in, um, I believe it's the book of Second Second uh, Corinthians, where Paul um, was in a really tough spot. I've read this to you before, um, where he had an open door to preach the gospel in a particular city, but he expected to find, I believe it was Titus there, and Titus wasn't there. He wasn't in the city. And that lack of brotherhood, that lack of friends where he needed them most in a really tight spot, uh, made Paul, the Apostle Paul, turn his back on a gospel opportunity and say, I can't do it. And he walked away from an open door. So this idea that John Mark bails on them is a really tough, is a really, in a really tough season, um, really impacted, uh, really impacted Paul and Barnabas. So <clears throat> for those of you who may not know, October is kind of the worst month in the world um, in the Martin house. There's a lot of really fantastic things that uh that that happens and happened in october and then there's a lot of terrible uh terrible things so uh just to name a few um uh this marks my uh this sunday marks my 11 year anniversary here among you which is fantastic um a really a really great uh a really great gift and at the same time like uh, in that 11 years, we've had we've had friends that we loved and that we thought loved us that just bailed on us, that won't wave as we drive down the street, like won't give us the time of day, won't tell us what we did wrong, just cold shoulder, uh, turned away. Uh, uh, October is is the month where my first son was born. We also buried him in October. October is the month that. Um, to the positive, my three oldest kids were thrown from a vehicle and walked away with road rash and a broken collarbone. My first wife died in October. Yesterday was the was the anniversary of that. And so, it's just a. It was an interesting as I was reading this uh, this week. It, it was it was helpful because in the midst of really really hard times, you have some that bail on you, and that can be really devastating. But you also have some brothers that remain faithful. And so, as I look at um, all of the different things in October that have been so painful. Um, it's pretty fantastic how gracious God has been to me 
to give me so many brothers and sisters who would walk and who would carry through those tough times. And so, listen, if you're, if you're discouraged in your Christian walk, if you're discouraged in the ministry, just understand that you're not alone. This happens. Uh, you see they are coming off of a fantastic grace of God. The pro, look, look at verse 12. The proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Paul just had a massive win. He's about to preach and have another massive win, but packed in the midst is this discouragement. I will say as well, just uh, briefly, about John Mark. At the uh, Paul did not want to take John Mark because he bailed on them. Um, he withdrew from them when they were on the work. But later on in Paul's ministry, John apparently got hooked up with Peter and Peter poured into John Mark. And so later on in Paul's ministry, he trusted John Mark and said, bring him along with you. He's useful to service. So there's redemption there, even for a guy who, who bailed on the work. And there's redemption for those who turn their back and, and, um, and withdraw. But there is discouragement in ministry. Um, there's also direction right out beside verse, uh, verse 15, right out the word direction. Um, it says they, they went on to uh, Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. So these are two Jewish men, and they go to the, they go to the synagogue, and they're going to sit down and just go worship with, uh, with, the, with the Jews, right? Now in verse 15, it's a really fantastic word. After the reading from the law and the prophets, so they get up and kind of do what we do to start our service. We read, uh, just let the word of God fall in your ears, your hearts, your minds. They get up and they read from the law. They read from the prophets. It says the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. This is like um, Chuck Swindoll called it like saying, sick them to a bulldog, right? Hey, Paul. Do you have a sermon handy? Would you like to address the crowd? And he says, yes, thank you kindly. So the question is, why did they do this? Why did they ask Paul and Barnabas, notice, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Now, the two things that, uh, the two reasons why they asked these two Jewish strangers to address them is because uh, we're told that Barnabas was a Levite. He was among the tribe of Aaron. He's of the priestly line. And so he has a distinction just based upon the family that he's been born in. And with Paul, he has a cultural distinction that Paul is a Pharisee. And they know these things. And so it's really a fantastic word that for Paul and for Barnabas, their past, God used their past to uniquely qualify them to bless the people. Okay? I don't know if you're like this, but do you have anything in your past that you count as a great shame? And has God ever used that to uniquely qualify you to share the gospel with somebody in particular? A lot of times it's those things that we're most ashamed of that God has spoken word of redemption and grace and mercy and love and he's healed us of that, that we get to look to other people who are struggling with the very same things and speak gospel into those things. And so our God is able to make your past, your past lostness, um, a qualification for his service. So Paul and Barnabas are invited to come and um, and preach. And so now, uh, beside verse 17, and it's going to govern 17 through 41, uh, write the word design. Paul is going give, to give the Israelites a reminder of their history 
but he's going to show them how all of their history has is is God working to reveal his son Jesus Christ to Israel. Okay? So watch the verbs and watch who Paul is describing, whose activity Paul is describing. He says, so Paul stood up and motioning with his hand he said, "Men of Israel, you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose if you want to circle these these verbs that God does. He's going to highlight things that God has done. The God of this people, Israel, chose our father, circle chose, and made, circle made, the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. We were kicking this around in elder prayer this week. And it is fantastic um, that Paul says that during their stay in the land of Egypt was God making them great. Pop quiz. What else was going on during their stay in Egypt? Do you remember? No big deal. Just genocide. Just like their babies being slaughtered by Pharaoh. No big deal. So through the eyes of faith, Paul looks at that event where a tyrant is saying, kill off all the male children, throw them into the Nile. Paul says, God was making our people great. And with an uplifted arm, he led, circle the word led. He led them out of it. And for about 40 years, circle the phrase, put up with. Put up with them in the wilderness. After destroying seven nations, you can circle the word destroying, although it's a participle. Um, Destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave, circle the word gave. He gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave, circle the word gave, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. So he's just going through the history of Israel. He gives them judges until Samuel, who was the last judge. Then they asked for a king, and God gave, circle gave. He gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. By the way, Paul, who is also named Saul, is from the tribe of Benjamin. He's a great-grandson of, um, of Saul, of Kish. And when he had removed, circle the word removed, when he had removed Saul, he raised up, circle that, raised up David to be their king of whom he testified, uh, circle the word testified, and catch that, that God testified of David. When he had removed Saul, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. So God testifies about David. The highest praise that you can find is the praise of God. Now, he goes right into Christ of this man's offspring. So Paul takes all of the, the best stories in Israel and he shows how they all point to Jesus Christ of this man's offspring of David. God has brought, circle the word brought, to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism. So the idea is, Paul shows how the whole story of redemption is about God working to reveal Christ to Israel. Okay? So you have God's work. Then you have, in verse 26, you have, um, or, or verse 24, you have some new leadership listed out. Before his coming, John proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Uh, and as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose, that I am he? John is saying, I'm not the one you're looking for. I'm not he. No. But behold, after me is coming, the, uh, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I'm not worthy to untie. And Paul says, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, 
And those among you who fear God, to us, meaning to the apostles, new leadership. He's going to, Paul is going to explain that just like there was a king named Saul that God took the kingdom from and gave it to David, just like that's the case, we have current leaders in Israel that failed to recognize their Christ, and God is going to take the leadership from them, and He's going to give it to the apostles. To us has been sent the message of this salvation for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not recognize Him or understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath. They fulfilled them by condemning Him. And though they found in Him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have Him executed. They acted unjustly. And when they had carried out all that was written of Him, They took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who have come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you good news of what God has promised to our fathers. This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus from the dead. So Paul says we have a a new Uh, We have a new leadership. So this has been God's design all along to exalt the name of His Son and to reveal Him to Israel. Um, Then He preaches good news. So watch this. So uh, all of this, again, is Israel's history pointing towards Christ. This He has fulfilled. So what He promised in the Old Testament, He has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus as it is written in the second Psalm. So He gives... It would be fun, right? If I make all sorts of, um, matter of fact, uh, you guys are familiar with the Westminster Confession of Faith. Have you ever heard of this? It was a a confession that um, the government of England got all of the pastors together and they said, look, we want a codified statement of faith from the church. What do you guys believe? There's all these denominations and uh, Protestantism is kind of uh, sweeping through England. And so what do you guys believe? They all got together. They studied And they articulated the faith as best they could, and they called it the Westminster Confession of Faith. And when they read it to Parliament, do you know what Parliament told them? They said, we need more scripture citing. We need to know where you're getting all of these things. Okay. So Paul just preached to the Israelites their history, their redemptive history, showing how it all pointed to Christ. And now he's assuming that they will say, but Paul, where's where's your text for that? Where's your, how do we know that? How do we know that that's, a right reading of the Old Testament. And so he's going to give some some quotes from the Old Testament. Here's what he says. uh, uh, As it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Those are words used in the Davidic kingship when they would appoint a new king on the Davidic throne that, that they would pronounce these words over that king. You are my son, says the Lord. You are my son, today I have begotten you. Okay? And so he's saying that's a Christ fulfilled that, uh, that phrase. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken in this way. So open your Bibles. I will give you the holy and sure blessing of David. Therefore he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he served the purposes of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Okay, so he so he roots all everything that he's preaching, he roots it in the Old Testament. Now watch this. 
Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers. If you write in your Bible, bracket, uh, bracket verse 38 and 39, this is the whole point of his sermon. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, namely Christ, forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed. If you have a textual note in your Bible, you should have a you should have a reference at the bottom. He uses this word twice, freed and freed. The word is justified. It's where we get our, our idea of justification by faith. That's this word. By him, everyone who believes is justified from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Okay, so he tells he tells the children of Israel that all of their history is building up to Christ. And Christ is the one that frees them from all the condemnation that they felt from the Old Covenant. And that there is no salvation outside of Him. Now watch this warning. Beware, therefore. I love this, right? Think about about the gospel preaching that we usually hear. We usually hear gospel. We usually hear uh, a lot of good news. We never really uh, talk about uh, hell or sin or whatever. It's just God. He's for you. He loves you. And then we're told, like, you should walk this aisle, you should pray this prayer. I love that Paul just roots his sermon in the Old Testament, points to Christ, and then threatens them. He just warns them from their Old Testament scripture. Watch this. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your day, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it, to you. Okay? So he gives them a warning. And that's how he ends his sermon. It ends right there. He warns them don't be like the scoffer who hears about what God and Christ has done but fails to believe, even if one tells it to them. So that's his that's his sermon. He shows the um, the divine design of all of redemptive history is God exalting the name of his son Jesus Christ. Now, you've got right beside verse 42, right day after. As they went out, so this is right after Paul preaches. As they went out, you have two groups of people who are, uh, who are mentioned. You have believers and you have beggars. Watch this. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them on the next Sabbath. Um. Now, just think with me for a moment. Is that a good thing or a bad thing that they're begging to be told again of Christ? At first reading, it might sound good, right? They're begging. They want to hear more of what's going on. But there's another group here that just immediately follow Paul and Barnabas. They immediately hear the truth that their whole faith has been building toward this person named Jesus. And they believe in him. And it says that they followed uh, they, they were, uh, there were many Jews and devout converts to Judaism that followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. So Paul just preached grace, the grace of Jesus Christ, as opposed to the law that they find in the Old Testament. And many believed and many followed, but there were some who were begging to hear again. This is back to what we talked about the other day. Somebody with a perpetually open mind. Okay? Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting thing that he preaches. And as they go out, some are begging that these things, they, they want to hear them again on the next Sabbath. 
And after the meeting in the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Okay? The gospel is that there is a sovereign king named Jesus who was crucified for sinners, raised from the dead, and exalted to the right hand of the Lord. And that everyone and everything owes him allegiance. Okay, So when you hear the gospel being preached, begging to hear it again from a believing perspective is fantastic. Begging to hear it again as though... Um, I hear what you're saying, but I want to hear it again, and I want to hear it again, and I want to hear it again. Um, that's not how we're to respond to the gospel. Um, some of you guys have been in the church for a really long time, and so you know what I mean when you talk about somebody who is always saying, great sermon, man, that was a great sermon, that was so good, just lit me on fire, love it, love it, love it, but ultimately like, never works its way down into belief, works its way down into life. They just want to hear sermons and do nothing about it. Hey, can I hear you again next Sunday? When Paul preaches Christ, he preaches Christ as Lord over all. And some people know right now that demands my everything. That's the day after. Right beside uh, the uh, verse um, verse 48, right, right beside that verse, the word uh, designated. So we're going to see what happens the next week. So they beg to hear the next Sabbath. And on, in verse 44, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And I'll just point out very briefly, it does not say, although we could expect it to, it does not say the next week, almost the whole city gathered to hear how fantastic a preacher the Apostle Paul was. What did they gather to hear? The word of the Lord. Um, Gracie and I were at the gym the other day, and I almost punched two old men. Um, because, you know, they're on their treadmill walking. Um, and both of them are just absolutely complaining about their churches. We got this new pastor. You know, he came in and he canceled our Sunday evening service. I mean, there were a whole five of us that were just coming every, every week and he just canceled it. My wife isn't happy. We're going to shop around. And then the other guy says, well, you think that's bad? Like my pastor preaches for like 45 minutes. He's like, after about 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you're just wasting everybody's time. I mean, no, you can't, no, you can't hold anybody that long. Listen, I'm not saying that all of my long sermons are great, but I am saying that you ought to give a rip about the Word of God. Like, what I wanted to do is say, hey, would you guys have stood in the rain with Ezra as he read the Word of God and brought revival to his people? Or would you complain that he's going on too long? This man is droning. The Word of God is not that important. I'll stand on a treadmill and I'll complain for an hour. But I won't listen to preaching that goes longer than 15 minutes. God have mercy on the church in America when that's what's going on. It was infuriating. I was so mad. I was so mad, as you can see. Okay, so the whole city gathered to hear the Word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. It's amazing, right? Aaron pointed this out in, um, in elder prayer. <clears throat> that of all of the things that they could be mad at, you just undercut Moses and said it's all about Christ, not about Moses. Christ can do for you what Moses never could, what the law never could. It's all about Christ. They don't get mad about that. 
They don't get mad about Paul warning his warning the people and calling them scoffers. What do they get mad about? The crowds. They're jealous of the crowds. They were when they saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul. I love this reviling him. I was thinking, how did they contradict what was spoken by Paul when he's accurately dividing the, the word of God? And Luke tells us that they didn't contradict his argument or his interpretation of scripture. Who did they revile? Did they revile the word? No, they reviled him. This guy, it, it's, it's, a, it's called an ad hominem, right? If you've got an argument I can't defeat, my best tact is just to say, yeah, but that guy's dumb and a bigot and a racist, right? And he, uh, he's a misogynist, he's a sexist, he's a whatever. And we just tag this little line on them to dismiss the argumentation. So they can't, they can't contradict, uh, they, they can't beat him in an argument, so they just revile him out of jealousy. The very same motive that caused Joseph's brothers to sell him into slavery and caused Jesus' Jewish generation to crucify him. There was envy and there was jealousy. So they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. I love that. Um, we live in a day where if people are upset about what you're saying, what is the obvious assumption? If somebody, if somebody says, you hurt my feelings with what you said, what's the obvious assumption? I must have made a mistake. There's no, there's no question as to whether or not maybe your feelings shouldn't be hurt here. Maybe the truth that's hurting your feelings means you ought to repent. I love that they come and they're really ticked off. And Paul doesn't say, oh man, I've kicked a hornet's nest. Really sorry, guys. Let me walk some of this back. He and Barnabas speak out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. And since you thrust it aside, listen to these words, and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, that in their rejection of Jesus Christ, they are judging themselves unworthy of eternal life. And so Paul says, we are going to turn to the Gentiles. By the way, when Paul in Romans 9, 10, and 11, when Paul is writing about uh, God's current purposes for Israel, he says that a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and then Israel is going to be saved. But he says in the meantime that God is making good on a promise that he made in the Old Testament that as Israel made God jealous with other gods, God tells Israel, I will make you jealous by another people. I will give my covenant blessings to Gentiles, to the dogs, to you and to me. One man's trash is another man's treasure. Or we might say their trash is our Christ. We will turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. Now this is amazing. So the Lord has commanded us saying, and these are words in the Old Testament from Isaiah 49, uh, reading assignment. You should go read Isaiah 49, 1 through 6. It is words spoken. Let's just do this. Keep your finger there. Um, after I just railed about uh, going on long sermons. Okay, uh, go to Isaiah 49. No one will dare say you preached too long after that tirade. Isaiah 49, listen to this. Uh, Isaiah 49, this is the Father saying to the Son, <clears throat> speaking to the Son, and the Son describing His own ministry before the Father. Uh, 
namely that, the Son describing His ministry before the Father. So, 49, Isaiah 49.1. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord has called... Now watch the first person uh, personal pronouns. The Lord has called me from the womb, not us. This is a person, a man speaking. The Lord has called me. This is the voice of Christ. He's called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he, he named my name. You should call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sin. He named me from, from my mother's womb. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. But I said... I have labored in vain. This is, this is the voice of Christ on the cross. I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. The nation has rejected me. Christ in the resurrection. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be His servant, to bring Jacob back to Him. So listen, this is the voice of Christ that the Father has honed Christ to bring Jacob back to Himself. And here's what He says. That Israel might be gathered to Him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has become my strength. Listen to this. He says, It is too light a thing that you, Jesus, should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. Too light a thing. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the redeemed of Israel and His Holy One, to the one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. Now listen to me. That's... That is a messianic um, song, a servant song of Isaiah. And Paul says that those words apply to he and Barnabas because it is through them that Christ is carrying out his purpose. For the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now watch this. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. They were designated by their Father. As many as were appointed to believe, believed. Now, verse 49. Write the word dust beside verse 49 and 50. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited devout women of high standing. Um one man said to me when I first got here, if you want something done, ask a busy woman to do it. Um, and the Jews are of that same ridiculous mentality. We need Paul to be hushed, and so let's go stir up the devout women of high standing. And they can say that their feelings are hurt, and Paul will leave maybe. And the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. Uh, the, the 
shaking off of dust. This is something that Jesus commanded them to do when they would come into Israelite cities and they would preach the good news of the kingdom. If they weren't received, he said, knock the dust off your feet as a sign to them. It's a sign of curse. Now, this is massive. You, you don't shake your feet off, the dust off of your feet, as a sign of curse to the sexually immoral, as a sign of curse to the atheistic, as a sign of curse to just worldly people. Who do you shake the dust off of your feet as a sign of curse? Those who claim to know God and reject His Word. Those who claim to love God, who claim to believe in the Bible, but when they hear about the crucified and resurrected Jesus Christ, who is the point of the Bible... When they reject Him, that is when you shake the dust off of your feet. Lastly, verse 52, write the word delight. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Okay? Amidst all of this strife, persecution, being driven out, reviled by the crowds, the disciples are filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. When our eyes and hearts are trained on circumstances, then joy and happiness and peace uh, are sporadic and they're dependent things. Okay, when, when all you can see is your circumstances, your joy, your happiness, your peace are just sporadic. They're like a flickering light bulb drawing from a battery that can't tell if it has some juice left or if it's spent. Listen to me. This is not the type of joy that the persecuted disciples in our text were experiencing. They had a joy which had tapped into something so far beyond their current circumstances that it could not even begin to be threatened by them. And the same joy is available to us today. This, brothers and sisters, is why we are invited and commanded to set our minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, you also will appear with Him in glory. God has been working from eternity past to reveal His Son to us and in us. And all who were appointed to eternal life believed, and that includes you and me. Would you remember Him today with me? Would you remember that He gave His body gladly to be broken for you? He gave His blood gladly to be shed for you. He was both willing and eager to secure our redemption at the cost of His own suffering. He suffered God's wrath so that we could savor His kindness. He was covered with shame so that we could be covered in glory and righteousness. He embraced weakness so that we could know the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. He was forsaken so that we could be welcomed in. This Christ is altogether lovely. Let us remember Him. Come, welcome to Christ. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for Your Word. We're grateful, Lord, that You saw fit just like them when the children of the covenants, when the, when the flesh-born children of Abraham turned from Jesus who was their Savior, who came to save His people from their sin, we're grateful, Lord, that when they turned Him down, You sent Him to us. We are like the Egyptians who received Joseph and received salvation in Him. This rejected Jewish Savior 
We thank you, Lord, that you saw fit to turn to us and to offer us the good news of salvation by faith in your Son. We're thankful, Lord, to have a place where we can gather, and we're grateful, Lord, to have this meal that we can celebrate in our remembrance of Christ. So, Holy Spirit, we invite you, we ask you to come to us. We ask you to to minister those things that are ours in Christ, would you would you work them into us, Lord? Would you come to us? Would you open our hearts that we could eat and drink in faith and benefit from the promises that are ours in Christ? Would you come now? We ask it in his name. Amen.